Good morning, Third Street. Good morning. Yes, sir. It is good to be back with you all. If you do not know me, uh, my name is Corey. Uh, I happen to have the uh, distinct honor of serving as the lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church. Um, and I am grateful uh, for the opportunity to be the person who is bringing forth the word of God this morning. I have become more aware now than ever before that I am on a team where bringing forth the word is always an honor, but now it's most especially a privilege because they're not going to let me do it all the time because we got some people on our teaching team that need some reps, amen? We got some people on the teaching team that are coming from my job, amen? We got some people on our teaching team that are like, nah, Corey, we actually don't need you. Stay in the back. Like, all right. So I fought for this one. It's like, I need October 23rd. Y'all can, can come at me if you want to. Uh, and KT tried, but, you know, Candace told him to sit down, so... I wanted this one because I wanted to be the person that gets to uh, start a brand new series called 100. Church, if you're with me this morning, say 100. 100. Say it how you grew up, 100. 100. Say it how you grew up, 100. 100. There we go. There we go. Just, just being honest, right? Just being honest. I'm excited about this series. This series is getting into the fact that, yo, this thing we say during tithes and offerings is not just like a cute little tagline to get you to give more. You know what I'm saying? Like what we usually say is that if you want to be technical, the only percentage that Jesus talks about is not 10. As a matter of fact, I challenge you, if you want homework, to go home and find in Scripture where Jesus says 10% of your income off the top ought to go. He doesn't say it. So then let's get nitpicky. Well, what does he say exactly? What does he expect of me? And what we get to talk about for the next several weeks is that what God actually expects of us is a percentage that is none short of 100%. This morning, before we even get into... Uh, the, the section of scripture that we'll be in for the next month, I want to take a different scripture and a different opportunity um, to start with a bit of self-reflection. I anticipate fully that a lot of y'all are not going to say amen or bless up to me today because I'm inviting you to think inwardly. But if the Lord so places it on your heart. Please affirm that the Spirit is speaking. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. So if you can find where that starts, good news, you're already there. Go to the 19th chapter, indicated by the big number 19 in your Bibles. Go to the 16th verse where we're going to start our reading this morning. If you don't have your Bible with you, I encourage you to uh, get one. But if you don't have one uh, available to you, I want you to look up here on this screen. Or if you are ultimately confident in your ability to fight off the temptation of the devil, to stay off of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, uh, TikTok, the eternally growing list of social media sites that we find ourselves on, I encourage you to do that as well. Otherwise, I will give you a faithful reading, I promise. Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16, says this. Just then, someone came up and asked him, him being Jesus, teacher, 
what good must I do to have eternal life? Jesus responds, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. The young man responds, which ones? <laughs> Jesus answered, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Stop lying. You know what I'm saying? Honor your father and your mother. Uh-oh. And love your neighbor as yourself. I've kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. The story doesn't stop there. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it doesn't. Jesus then says to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of, of God. Anyone who never thought that Jesus had a sense of humor, <laughs> that, was, that was a bar back in the day. All right. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and asked, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter responded to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? Oh, Peter. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you have followed me. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who everyone. Come on, wake up this morning who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more. How many times more? Hey, look at that. What's up, theme? will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Ooh. It's been a tense few weeks in my house. Uh, there's a lot going on. I'm sure you can relate. And anytime there's a lot going on, meaning there's a lot of things that we're involved in, there's a lot of things that take us outside of our home, right? Anytime that's what happens, it tends to be true for, I believe, probably mostly all of us, that cleaning ends up being the first thing neglected. Amen. Ah, I see I have a few people with me this morning. Now you're awake. Yeah, cleaning is the first thing that gets neglected. Now, here's the problem with that in my house. In my six-person household, there are two individuals. For the sake of respect, I will keep everyone's identity in this story protected. But there are two, two individuals in my six-person household that cannot exist in unclean conditions. 
There are two individuals in my household that cannot function if things are messy. I don't know if you know me well enough to guess, but I am not one of those two. Right? But here's the problem. Here's the real problem, right? Last weekend, we decide this can't go on anymore, right? The two people who cannot live in filth decided this can't go on. I, who could live in a dirt pile over there, was like, you know what? You're right. I can't tolerate you not being able to function anymore either. She's in kids today, so it's, I'm good out here. Don't tell her I said that. So, um, so we decided cleaning day. Stop everything that you're doing, and until the entire house is clean, ain't nobody doing nothing else, right? Now, one of my children was specifically instructed, clean your room, put away your laundry. It's pretty straightforward. Any unclear expectations in that command? Clean your room, put away your laundry. And yet it never fails that no less than 15 times said child will reemerge from said bedroom and say, am I good yet? Is this clean? Can you come check it for me? I feel like I've done a good enough job that I can stop now. Can you come check? Am I good? In other words, have I done enough for this space to be considered clean? Have I put enough away to be good? Have I put enough in to have won approval in your eyes? Well, the young man that we read about in Scripture has a question very similar to this one. His question is, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Really, am I good, though? Am I good? See, this man recognizes that Jesus, whether he's divine, the Messiah, like whatever his condition may or may not be, this man at the very least recognizes that Jesus is from God. At the very least, he's a teacher that God has sent, at the very least, right? And so he goes to Jesus because he has many accolades, this young man does. This young man has many accolades. His resume is long, right? The list, his itemized list of things that he owns is extensive. His financial protection is substantial. He's earned a lot. By the world standards back then and even still today, pretty much anywhere this man goes, he's good, right? And so he goes to Jesus for his assurance that when it comes to salvation, when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to this kingdom that you're going village to village speaking of, I'm just here to make sure that I'm good, right? And so that's what he asks is, Jesus is, is salvation, is the kingdom of God another bullet point I can put on my resume? 
Is it another medal that I can wear? Is it another patch on my jacket? Is it, is it another thing that I've earned yet? I'd like to, I think that that's impressive to some folks. I'd like to be able to boast about that. And so Jesus asked him, he's like, why are you asking me if you're good? There's only one who's good. As a matter of fact, you're young, you're well off, you've been able to afford an education in this nation, so because you've been able to afford an education, you know what the scriptures say. You know the commandments. You know what God expects of you. So why don't you go do that? And he wants to know, which ones are you talking about specifically? Because I'm pretty sure as far as a checklist is concerned, I've checked all the boxes. The young man says, if keeping the commandments is what he expects, then I'm good. But something must be missing. It must be. It must be. You might be sitting there saying, Pastor, that's speculation. Maybe. But if something wasn't missing and he knows he's checked all these boxes, why would he ask the question? He must feel as if there is something more than the boxes that he's been checking. I've been not murdering. I've been not cheating. I've been not using the Lord's name in vain. I've been not staring at my neighbor's wife. I've, I, I, I've been not doing these things that you say I ought not do. Am I good? He must feel like there's something missing if it's a question. Come on, Pastor. And Jesus knows that there's something missing. Yes, sir. Maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe you feel like I've been doing this for a minute now. But something's missing. I've been showing up on Sunday mornings listening to the slew of different teachers you give the microphone to. I've been putting my hands up when Rev says, lift your hands. I've been extending them out when he says, give an offering to the Lord. I've been here. I've been trying to meet people. I even started going to a huddle. Pastor, did you know that? I did. It's on my spreadsheet. <laughs> Said, I tried going to a huddle. I'm in KT's huddle. And you know, KT and Candace are coming hard. They're always hitting me with the facts scripture but I don't know man I don't know it's just I don't know I don't know I don't know something's missing I've been even trying to pray I don't really know how to do it I've been waiting for this like audible voice to speak back to me I don't quite hear it I don't know I just I just feel like something's missing I've been at this maybe you've been in church your entire life and at this point you still feel as if something is missing for the young man something was missing. He had many things that he could claim, but something was still missing. And what Jesus is going to get at with this young man is that there is a difference between self-denial. There's a difference between the motives we may have behind a sacrifice. There's a difference between those things and allowing God to genuinely transform your heart. Jesus is going to insinuate that God may have your self-denial. God may have your sacrifice. 
But I wonder, young man, does God have your hearts? Y'all, I love Swenson's. I love Swenson's, bro. I love, hey, watch it now. I love, I love going to Swenson's. I love the experience. I love pulling up. Can I help you with anything? Do you know what you want? I'm ready to order, sir. Let me get two galley boys and order a potato puffs. That's their way of saying tots. And depending on how I feel that day will fluctuate between a milkshake or a large California. Amen. I love Swenson's. But say, suppose, perhaps, hypothetically, of course, I find out one day that my order of two galley boys, potato puffs, and a large California may slowly be killing me. Whoa, this is hypothetical. Relax. Chill out, Doc. Suppose that it's slowly killing me and I decide I need to go on a diet I'm gonna be real with you a diet for me would be about denying myself Swenson's right a diet for me is counting down the days until I hit my goal so I can then absolutely destroy four galley boys two potato puffs and two large Californias That's why diets don't work. There's a big difference between going on a diet and praying to the Lord to help me transform my heart so that I don't love Swenson's anymore. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference between denying yourself, forcing yourself to follow commandments, and then praying to the Lord, transform my heart, let me not love what is evil, let me not do what is fleshly, and submit my will to yours, love, so that, so yours, Lord, so that I become more like you. There's a difference. You see that, right? The Lord may have your self-denial. He may even have some of your sacrifice. But does the Lord truly have your heart? Let me ask it another way. Are you presently experiencing the transformation of the Lord in your heart? Are you presently experiencing that? It's a heart issue. It's not an issue of sacrifice. It's not an issue of self-denial. It's about your heart. To further make the point that it was about his heart, Jesus says, I see where this is going, and I'm just going to go ahead and cut straight to it, right? To perfectly illustrate that this is a heart issue, Jesus goes straight for what this young man cannot bear to live without, his possessions, right? He says, then, then, then give up, go and sell your possessions. Now, I want to point out real quick two things that might change the way that we've traditionally read this passage, depending on where you come from. The first of which is that in Mark's account of this exact same story, he decides to include the fact that Jesus loved this man. Let me make it more clear. This is not an angry rebuke. Jesus is not like, then go sell your possessions. Jesus loved him. Jesus had compassion on him. It was probably more like, dang, bro, 
You don't get it. You don't get it. The second thing that I want to point out is that Jesus didn't just tell this young man to get rid of all his stuff or to smash all of his stuff. Shout out to the early 2000s youth pastor that hit an Xbox with a hammer to make a point, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Sorry if that was too specific. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He didn't say go burn it down. He didn't say throw it away. He didn't say deny thyself a paycheck. He invited this young man to sell his stuff and give the money to the poor. So then that makes me ask the question or wonder, maybe this isn't about the possessions at all. Maybe the issue is not actually about the stuff. Maybe it's not actually about the money at all. Maybe it was the fact that his possessions are what were preventing the young man from more closely following Jesus. Perhaps the issue was not the young man's possessions, but it was the young man's relationship with the possessions. It wasn't the fact that he had stuff. It wasn't the fact that he was rich. It was the fact that what he had was more precious to him than following Jesus. This isn't an angry rebuke. It was an invitation from Jesus to reconsider the priorities of the young man's heart. Reconsider his priorities. Now, I don't have time to all the way go there. I don't, KT, I don't. I don't have time to all the way go there, but I just wanted to throw this in real quick for free. Isn't it just like Jesus to find a way to repurpose what the world has overdone? Like, isn't it just like Jesus to find a way to repurpose what the world gives us so much so in abundance to distract us from the Lord? He's like, well, no, 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 no. Let's not be wasteful. Let's take this and find a different way to use it, right? You've done a great job of building wealth for yourself, but you've neglected the needs of those around you. Let's not turn these things down. Let's not smash them. Let's not burn them. Let's use them as a blessing for your neighbor. Well, Jesus, I don't actually live near these people. I just drive past them on my way to and from church. I, I don't actually know anybody. But isn't it interesting that Jesus connects the young man's life to the life of those who hadn't earned what the world says the young man has earned? Now, it's easy for us to scoff at the fact that Jesus was like, then go sell your stuff, give the, give the money to the poor, and come follow me. And he went away sad. It's easy for us to scoff at that. <laughs> what an idiot. Like if Jesus comes to me, I'm selling that because I was Jesus. Well, he didn't understand that. And once upon a time, you didn't either. I would argue you might still don't. 
Right? It's easy for us to scoff at his inability to leave his possessions behind when we ourselves have not been confronted with the opportunity to leave that stuff that's preventing us from following Jesus more closely behind until today. Right? There are things in all of our lives that we are holding on to. You don't have to agree with me. Just know that I see you. There are things in all of our lives that we hold on to. And those things on their own are not inherently evil. But because of our relationship with those things, it is preventing us from more fully following Jesus, which disallows us from more fully experiencing all it is that God has for us to experience. It might be your money. It might be your bank account that you are too busy putting things to one side or the other to build a secure net around yourself while neglecting the fullness of what God may be calling you into. Imagine what I can do with your money, God might say. It might not be your money at all because maybe Maybe, you know, you're like a few, uh, a few more than, than, than a few of us in here and you don't have that much, right? But maybe it's your calendar. It's your calendar that you're holding so tightly to. Well, you don't understand. If I don't do X, Y, and Z, ain't nobody gonna, because God's not bigger than your schedule. We hold so tightly to the calendar that suddenly we ran out of time to pray. We hold so tightly to our busy schedules that suddenly we ran out of time to get into the word of God with our kids. We hold so tightly to our busy schedule that we barely remember to put food in our bellies, let alone consult the Holy Ghost on what he might be doing in a scenario. Maybe it's a little more specific than that. Maybe it's your dating profile. You laugh, but eight people just got real quiet. <laughs> Maybe it's your, it's whatever apps you're putting yourself out there on that is actually preventing you from drawing closer to Jesus. Don't believe me? Come show me your screen time. Just come show me. I ain't judging you. I love you. But I got some truth to give to you too. Maybe it's your collection. Maybe it's your title. I worked hard for this title. I worked hard for this stuff. Right? But you're missing out on what God can do with your time. You're missing out on what God can do with your money. You're missing out on what God can do with your relationships. You're missing out on what God can do, which is so much better. Can I tell you guys a secret? If my daughter would have just cleaned her stinking room, we'd have gone for ice cream. But because she wanted to wait 15 more times to see if it was good enough yet, ain't none of us eating. And I'm still mad about it.
This isn't meant to be an angry rebuke on behalf of Jesus. This is meant to be an invitation to reconsider the priorities of our hearts, right? It was not that long ago. It was actually just a few months ago where overwhelmed, I left my house and I went on a walk. You know how tripping I had to be to go on a walk, right? I went on a walk and not to Swenson's, but to a park where there was a bench. Nobody else was around. And I sat down and I cried by myself. You didn't see it, but I promise it happened. Ain't none of your business what was going on, but it was going on, right? I was upset. There was a lot going on. I was overwhelmed. Thought I was having a panic attack. Mental health, not that great at the moment, right? I'm dealing with a lot, and so I just start praying because it's the only thing I know how to do when I'm desperate. Can you relate, right? And so, and so I start praying, and I'm like, God, what is going on? I've been doing good. I've been X, Y, and Z in all over the place. We straight. Why is this happening? Right? And what I heard so plainly back was God tell me, there are things in you that you have to let go of. There are things in you that have got to die in order for you to go where I'm trying to take you. We've been wrestling ever since. What are you, relax, what are you holding on to? that is preventing you from experiencing God more deeply. If you feel like there's been a block, if you feel like there's been a wall, if you feel like you've hit a point of depth, but it ain't go no deeper, I promise you didn't find the bottom, my brother. You have a block that there is something you're holding on to that needs to be processed out, that needs to be let go of, that needs to be removed from you in the mighty name of Jesus so that you may more fully experience the kingdom of God. Now, there's one last thing I have to point out for, to you, and then I promise. I promise you I'm out your way. But when you look back at that passage, I had to include that next part. I had to. I had to. I had to. And it's not just because I love Peter and I find so much of myself in Peter, um, but that's part of it, right? It's because he did, he is all of us, right? Like, he was just there for Jesus being like, all right, let go of all the things that you're holding on to, and then you're good. And then this guy goes away sad, right? And Peter's standing there like, this guy goes away sad, can't let it go. Hey, um, but for real, unrelated, I'm good though, right? I love that. Like, let's just keep it real. That's what Peter really wanted to know. You can frame it however you want to frame it. But what he was really asking was like, yeah, that guy, he would have been good. But like, just so we're on the same page, Jesus. So like future reference, because you know about keys of the church and all this other kind of stuff. I'm just making sure I'm good, right? I'm good. Jesus says, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah, Peter, you're good, right? He says, and everyone, who? Everyone who has left houses, everyone who has left brothers or sisters, everyone who has left father or mother or children, everyone who has left their fields, their livelihoods, because of my name, will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. It does not say those who have sold everything and live in a commune following me 
will inherit. It doesn't say that. And that actually wouldn't have been true of Peter either. Because what do we know about Peter? Peter still had a wife. Peter had a sick mother-in-law. And Peter had a house that they were in. Peter also must have had some type of connections back at his job because when Jesus died, look how quickly he got back on a boat fishing, right? So he still had some stuff somewhere. So if that's not what made Peter good, what made Peter good? Jesus said clearly, those who what have left those things have left. The invitation of the gospel is what? To repent. And believe. In other words, to see yourself going one direction, stop dead in your tracks and go the other because his voice is over here. Those who have turned around from the things that are keeping them from God are good. The invitation of the gospel is to turn away from, to leave behind the things that keep us from following Jesus. Peter was good, not because of the amount of stuff he did or didn't have. Peter was good because of his genuine repentance, the genuine repentance of his heart to leave anything that wasn't given to him by God. But to steal a quote from somebody up here, do you really believe that? Are we really that committed? Like, is there genuinely nothing we wouldn't leave behind? I mean, there's a few things that I hope he asked for that I will readily leave behind. But then there's a few that I'm going to pause and think, right? Dang, that too? Are we that committed? Uh, at, at Giant, this um, leadership development, business consulting stuff that, um, that I get to be a part of sometimes, one of the things that we say all the time to, uh, to teams and to businesses is that uh, there are studies that have been done on work efficiency. And what we've learned from those studies is that teams, like in, in businesses, teams function at less than 60% of their true capacity. Now, part of what we do is we get to help you figure out why that's true of your team specifically. But it's a stat. It's just a truth. It's, a, it's an objective stat that says they're functioning at less than 60% of their true capacity. Here's my fear. And I promise I'm getting out of your way. I promise. But here's my fear. My fear is that that's true in the church too. That our church specifically is functioning at less than 60% of what we're actually capable of. That's my fear. That's my fear. I don't want that to be true. And so as we, as we take natural steps into the future, right, as we take natural steps to seeing our facility be one that's sufficient for all of the things that God has asked us to do, as we take steps towards the ability to expand our reach to the kids and the families that are on waiting lists right now. We cannot do so functioning 
at less than 60% capacity. Less than 60% capacity, if that is true, has been sufficient up until now. It can no longer be sufficient. So then the invitation has got to be, how do we get to 100? How do we get to full efficiency? How do we get to full capacity? Well, the church is what? It's the people. It's us. It's every single one of us, not a single exception, saying, what does it look like for me to be functioning at 100%? What does it look like for me to have left 100% of things behind and be 100% committed to Jesus, be 100% following him and experiencing 100% of the kingdom of God on this earth? What does that mean for us? As we continue to dream how we meet the needs of our community, as we continue to dream as to what this might mean to meet the medical needs of our community, as we continue to dream of what this might mean to meet the, the, the food desert needs of this community, as we continue to dream so what it means to address mental health in our community, as we continue to dream as to what it might mean to see vocational skills just as accessible as a 45-year-old textbook that is shared in the schools. As we continue to dream about where God is trying to take this to make our area an area of hope, it takes no less than 100%, 100% commitment, 100% in. We want to see everyone, 100% of people, experiencing the transformation of our hearts. We want to see everyone. We want, we want to leave nothing that we're holding on to. We want to leave everything behind that is preventing us from experiencing God more fully. But it takes everyone. It takes who? Everyone. It takes everyone being in. Church, the 100 series, the 100 initiative, the season of our life, this is not a diet. This ain't no fundraiser. This is a prayerful consideration of what God is calling us to let go of. And following it up with the bold faith to see it through. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are holy. We thank you that even though we are unholy, you make a way to include us. God, we thank you that you are the God above all things on this world that trip us up. And Lord, we desperately want to experience you more fully. We desperately want to be a part of what you're doing. God, we want to feel your anointing. We want to feel your healing. We want to feel your peace. We want to feel your clarity. God, we want to experience these things 
with you as a part of what you're doing. And so at this time, we pray for your forgiveness for all of the things that we may be holding on to. The things that maybe the person next to us doesn't even know about, but that I now confess that you see. I now confess is real. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us. And God, we pray that you would give us on this day of repentance our daily bread, which in this moment feels like the strength to open our hands and let go. In this moment feels like what we need is the peace to understand that God's going to take care of our lives even without this thing that we got to let go of. In this moment, it feels like the courage to take that bold step to let go of what's been slowing us down for far too long. Father, let there not be a single thing that controls us. But let it be true unto us that we respond graciously, joyfully to the will of God. Because, Father, unlike all of the things that we've been holding on to, we know definitively, full well, that you lead us not into temptation but that you deliver us from evil. We pray these things. In Jesus' name, all who believe say, what's up?